This episode is made possible by our main sponsor, Troy Thompson from LJ Hooker Gun Garland. As you may or may not know, Troy played 156 first grade NRL games for the Canberra Raiders, which means he's a team player and he'll help you tackle all of your home buying and selling goals in the Gun Garland area. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life and Sport Podcast. And we've actually got a very special guest, uh, someone like the name that you may, may not be on the radar these days, but he definitely was in the early 2000s. He got Rookie of the Year, Dally M Rookie of the Year in 2000, if I'm not mistaken, or 98, one of the two. Um, his name is Mark McClendon, uh, played for the Raiders and uh, London Harlequins slash Broncos over in the UK, as well as a stint with the Queensland Reds. Welcome, and how's your week going so far? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> you've done your research, which is all <laughs> my, my best. You know, I sort of, sort of forget. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was in London. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going good. Um, and you're right, it was 98 that I got uh, Rookie of the Year. And some would argue, and I might even be one of those, that I picked too early. I think 98 was probably my best year, unfortunately. You know, mm. had a lot of um, expectation and, and uh, hype. Um, and I did have a couple of years that probably matched that first year, but mm-hmm. um, nothing that really scaled beyond that. Um, and it was such a long time ago. <clears throat> so 98, I mean, that wasn't even this, this century. Um, and, you know, when people um, uh, occasionally recognise me and say, hey, are you Mark McClendon or did you used to play rugby? Uh, so when they say, are you Mark McClendon, I actually, some, I actually go to say um, I used to be. Oh, okay. Because, you know, I, I know where they're coming from. I know uh, why they're asking. And it, it's gotcha. kind of like, yeah, I used to. But then I stop myself and say, well, I'm still Mark McClendon, just not Mark McClendon, the footballer. As they know you, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I, I look nothing like um, when I played. And that's that's, uh, that's honestly, sorry to interrupt, but when I like, like found you on social media and whatnot, I was like, is this the right Mark McClendon? <laughs> I had to cross-reference images because, as you said, you do look nothing like yeah. back, back in your playing days. Yeah, I mean, if my name was, um, you know, Mark Smith, then you could say, well, yeah, I've got the wrong one. But Mark McClendon, there's not too many around. No, that's very true. Uh, not too many McClendons, but um, I would say it's there was two reasons why I don't look anything like it. Oh, well, three. One, it was, just, you know, 15 years ago or something, I was yeah. playing in Australia. And um, beard. we get older and the beard. Um, two, um, I kind of wanted to... Move past my footy time, I guess. Yep. And um, I'm proud of, of my time then and I loved it. Uh, it was pretty intense, um, but I was sort of pretty keen on, um, you know, I guess reinventing myself or, or moving beyond it. And, and the other one is um, when you play contact sport, the, the coaches, they want you to put on weight. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I probably shouldn't have because... I, I resisted for a while. Um, it was pretty hard as an 18-year-old to resist Narman Inga when he's, <laughs> one of his yeah. legs is the size of your torso. Um, yeah. But, but the, the um, prevailing um, convention back then was to, to get big yeah. um, and at, at the expense of um, my speed, really. Um, yeah. My first year, I was uh, un- untouchable. Um, yeah, and, more or less. Yeah, and... Um, I mean, I got, I think I got knocked out that year. So someone touched me. Um, but, you know, like, I guess it was more like the Preston Campbell mold. Yeah. And I look at um, Preston's career and he didn't really put on size. I mean, he's probably put a kilo or two on uh, since he's finished. But um, 
during his career, he mustn't have had that pressure, yeah. which was something that um, I probably, as I got older, actually, in, in my footy career, I, um, I was able to say, look, I'm happy with this weight. It was, you know, I yeah. started my first year in 98, let's say I was 73, four, 74 kilos, yeah. like a lightweight. I mean, these days it's an extra lightweight because it runs so much heavier. But yeah. back then it was, it was considered a lot, very light. And um, they wanted me at a, probably 10 kilos heavier than that. Wow. So a lot of my career I was playing over 80 kilos. And, and, and that's a big difference as well when in the grand scale of things because obviously players have their ideal playing weight. And if you're, you know, comfortable in your personal ideal playing weight was, you know, ex- example 74 and they're asking you to play at 84, that's a massive difference on the field. People don't think it is, but it, it really is. It is, especially that weight, right? Like, you know, Another another name from from yesteryear was Mark Tukey. Yep, I know Big Tukes. Yep, Tukes is great, and I actually was lucky enough to play with him in uh, in London. Yep, um, he was a big boy back then, and so let's massive say Raiders was, fan as well. Is he? Yeah, massive Canberra Raiders fan. Ah, he must have come <laughs> to that later. Um, but let's say he was playing at I don't know one fifteen. Uh, if he put on ten kilos to one twenty five, that percentage increase isn't huge. No. But but seventy four to eighty four, the percentage of what I was, that extra ten kilos, um, and uh, I didn't, I probably didn't hold that weight as as well as as the people who wanted me to put on weight would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was more effective in defence, and yes, uh, I could weather games better um, physically. But um, I don't know. I think you you lose so much with. Um, yeah. When you put that weight on, and and it might only be half a second over 100 meters, right? But that that can be the difference between getting through a break or not. It can um, be the difference between running back to save a try as well, sort of thing. Yeah, and that's true. And not just it didn't just affect my speed, but it affected my my fitness. Um, mm. And with with rugby league and and other sports, um, you know, every meter, every millimeter, every op- opportunity lost or gained can mean the difference between winning and losing. Absolutely. Um, so uh, that's all to say, um, since finishing footy, I've gone back down to the 73, 74 kilos. Uh, this is the weight that I really like because uh, I feel more agile. Um, I, yep. look, um, I look at some of the um, pictures of me playing back in the day and you know, I had a fairly solid neck. My legs were pretty big and, um, you know, I guess you, you look more imposing on the field, but um, it comes at a cost and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, if I had my time over again, I probably would have uh, insisted I yep. stay this weight and just said, "Look, I'm not going to be as effective in defence. It's just, but you're going to gain probably a try a match, you know. Um, so what do you want to do in the trade-offs? And, um, but that's hindsight. You don't get yeah. a second go at it, unfortunately. But um, um, I'm enjoying my my uh, regular weight back at sort of low seventies. Yeah. No, that's totally fair enough. Um, and so let's go go back way back, way back before even 98 to your grassroots. Mm. West Belcon and Warriors. Yep. What, what, what was the love and how did you start and find, you know, rugby league, you know, at, at such young age in Canberra? Like, what was your inspiration to start playing? My folks, my, both my mum and dad played touch footy. Mm. Uh, and um, I was carted around from, from field to field in Canberra because Canberra was, still is, but back then particularly it was massive touch, touch footy. It was huge. Um, you know, you would it, players. People were playing three or four games a week, and uh, all around Canberra too. Yeah. So I went to um, a whole heap of games. Watched as a kid, 
then got old enough to kind of think maybe I could play this game. Um, and uh, in Canberra, um, I, I started playing rugby union. Yep. Um, and that was just because my dad, he, he went to school at a private, private school, uh, Darren Marlin, um, and he played in the first 15 um, as, a, as a kid. And um, so I followed in his footsteps. Uh, but interestingly, I, I was also a really big uh, Canberra Raider fan. Yep. Well, uh, Raiders were also very successful in the early 90s, like late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yeah. And I was uh, watching as many games as I could. So they, Raiders started in 82. I was yep. born in 79. Yep. So kind of uh, grew up together, I guess. Um, and at that time, at that age, I didn't realise that I was playing a different sport. Mm-hmm. Um, rugby union, rugby league, very similar. And especially they are very similar. Yeah, and for people who are right into the games, they're like, oh, no. I mean, as an example, in rugby league, the result in the Bledisloe the other night with yeah. Australia, that just doesn't happen in the league. I mean, and, and some of the forward passes saw in that game, I don't think that happens in the league. So there are some differences, but um, from an outsider's point of view, it's not much. And even from a four-year, five-year-old as I was, I don't know, it was just, it was just footy. Um, yeah. And so uh, I didn't play rugby league till I was about 14. Okay. Um, and late with the league then. Yeah, I started late. Yeah, I mean, all the uh, basic skills were there. Uh, I didn't know how to tackle because I was playing rugby union. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I was just. It's a cheap. <laughs> it's a cheap swipe at the code. I, I love both codes, but uh, I know I know league league fans love, you know, the comparison and the yeah. uh, the critique of the defence. So I play up on that a bit. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of truth to it too. Um, and so when I started playing. Um, uh, I started playing for the West Bokana Warriors, um, yep. which is where I grew up in Canberra. And it was so much more professional than, than Union. Like, they had football posts and, and they had p- marked paint on the ground as, yep. as a kid. And I was like, wow, this is big time. Yeah. They had uh, shoulder pads, um, the old school torpedoes, which, yep. um, which for some one year just vanished, like <laughs> became extinct. Yep. I'm not sure they ever never stopped a, a cork, but that's what we used to wear. And for those who don't know what torpedoes are, they're bike pants with padding in it. Yeah, the big blue padding shorts sort of thing. Yeah, and they, were, they came in blue, black, and white. Yep, oh, I just uh, remember them as blue. Uh, okay, well, I've got, uh, like, Matty Elliott, my uh, coach from the Raiders. Yep. I'm pretty sure he used to wear white, uh, okay. and I, I wore the black ones. Um, and I think even I saw an old game with Laurie Daly wearing them, even, like, in a final. Um, wow. So I started playing, yeah, under 15s um, was my first year. And then we, then that same year, I played for the Junior Raiders, um, uh, Harold Matthews, under mm-hmm. 15s. We went really well. We played six games only. But that was the first time that I put a Raiders jersey on. Yeah, wow. That, I mean, I'd put jerseys on before the Raiders ones. I've been bought the mum and dad gave them to me. But this one is the first one I earned. I was going to say, yeah, earned, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was the same as the first grade one. So it had the Canberra Milk yep. um, sign at the front. And I still I say this, and I, I still think it's true, putting that jersey on at under 15 was more um, monumental for me than putting a, the first grade jersey on at 18. 18. Okay. Uh, because I'd gone from 
um, not being a Canberraider to being a Canberraider that first day in under 15s. And as far as I was concerned, I was a Canberraider. Yep. Yes, yes, I was playing in the junior comp, but I got to wear the same jersey. And, and we, you were in their system and all that. In the system, um, I'd met a couple of like reserve grade coaches. There was a pathway there. Although I didn't really see it at the time, I thought it was still a huge, I, I just thought it's, you know, I knew the statistics. My, my mum and dad were statisticians, so I knew that, Playing under 15s did not mean you'd be playing first grade at some point. Um, but the the big, not just putting on the Raiders jersey, but playing the other teams, like we played yeah. Parramatta and they had the, the jerseys. Um, yeah. uh, and it was back in the day with the, the baggy, baggy jerseys. So you had a lot of the jerseys. still had a collar and everything. Oh, yeah. It was like very formal. I didn't even, I never put the button on. Like, yeah. in, just I, button, buttons don't belong in rugby league. No. Um, nor do collars, and actually, nor do um, other things uh, that I I um, opposed when I was playing. So one of them was one year uh, they introduced um, notepads to take into the gym. Yeah, this was in first grade, um, and you had to um, keep track of what you were lifting and how many. Um, and I, I was like, pens don't belong in the gym. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. like, I finished school um, and now uh, I'm in the gym and I'm writing stuff down. I can see why they did it, but um, my my opposition to it didn't get me far. I still had to keep the note, notepad. Yeah. But, um, yeah, under 15 is where I started and then I went through the system um, yeah. really quickly, actually. I went um, under 15s. Then I went to under 17s and played two years there because I was yeah. younger. But then from there, um, the next step is 19s, but I didn't do that. I went straight to reserve grade. Yep. And I was small, like, you know, I mentioned 74 kilos. That was that was first grade. That was 18. So when I was 17, I was, you know, probably just over 70 kilos. Playing against men, um, yep. reserve grade back then was not what we see now with the under no. and stuff. That was... Um, they were massive. And like, they were more or less players that were playing in the NRL but were coming back from injury sort of stuff. They were huge. Yeah, or worse for me, players that had finished yeah. their careers and were still hanging on and were kind of a little bit bitter maybe but yep. also massive and um, very tough. Um, and so I had to be fast. I had to fa be fast and survive. I had to be, had to be very fast to, um, to get through the matches uh, and uh, maybe that's sort of where I got my agility from, getting through and and getting around those those big guys and in, in not reserve. Not wanting to get hit, sort of thing as well. Yeah, it's not fun. Getting hit's not fun. No, no I, I can imagine. Um, and obviously, you're 98. You signed with the Raiders, and you ended up getting not only like Rookie of the Year, you got Dally M Rookie of the Year, which is an amazing accomplishment. You ended up getting Raiders Player Player of the Year. Mm. What was that like? That whole first year, as you said, you know, you sort of feel like in hindsight you maybe peaked in that first season. Um, but what was it like, as you said, from nine, from 15 years old, straight through to 18, you know, Raiders, 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 you get your debut and you excel. Like you probably exceeded your own expectations. What was that like that first season in the NRL for you? Well, I mentioned how putting the jersey on in the 15s was um, was huge. Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't a dream come true yet because, I, you know, even though it was great, I was wearing a jersey, I was still playing on 15s. My dream was to play first grade. Yep. Um, it wasn't to win a grand final, although every kid dreams of it. Um, it was to play a single second of first grade, yeah. to, just to be out there. That was just my step on the field. Yeah, and if yeah. they, if they, if after stepping on the field, the coach said, "Oh, sorry, wrong number. We didn't need you on there." And get off. It's like, cool. 
that's cool. Yeah. I was on there. I was I played. I didn't catch a ball or do anything, but I was I was on the field. So that was my dream. And and, um, and uh, then it came true. Um, and wow. and then um, then it just got better and better. Um, and things that I hadn't really recognised and, and um, anticipated for. So I knew that, um, uh, you know, playing, you'd be playing in front of thousands of people, you'd be on TV, uh, that were cool. Um, but, um, you know, Canberra's a fairly small place um, yeah. and it's a, it's a massive footy um, supporting town. And so I'd gone from, uh, you know, not not very well known to um to a everyone. Superstar. Yeah, yeah, you you know, even for I mean a short period, you really are. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's you know, it's for, for football followers. So if if people didn't follow footy, they wouldn't know who no. it was. So it's not like I ever transcended into that kind of uh, notoriety. Um, but the thing is with Canberra, most people do follow footy. Yeah. Um, and so I um there's a bit of a story. I don't, you don't mind going off on tangents. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just remember my first year. Um, thought I was handling it pretty well, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I mentioned my mum and dad playing touch footy. Well, they played touch and a bit Oz tag too. I know you ref uh, some Oz tag. Yep. Um, it, it is fun to play and fun to fun to ref as well. It's good. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's what touch doesn't give you as a as a lead. Um, yeah, and, and it gets you closer to the to, to league. Yeah. So I was playing. I think I was touch footy this time, and um, uh, we were playing mixed and um, all ages. And um, I, I made a break, and, and a kid touched me, but I didn't think he touched me, and I called him a liar. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I kept going, kept playing, um, and afterward, um, he was really upset. And um, oh wow. Yeah, and I, um, his mum came over to me and she said, well, you know, you can't, you shouldn't say those things. And I was like, well, I don't think he got me. He said, yeah, yeah but, but he, he worships you, you know. Oh, he, okay. And it, oh, he, it hit me hard. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was a mess. Like, I was in tears and I was just, like, so sorry. Wow. And, um, so I went over to the, the kid and spoke and um, it, was, it was at that point I realised the uh, impact you can have positive or negative yeah. on um, you, how you view your role. Yep. And I, I like to think that was the, the last negative experience I had with notoriety or, or being recognised. And I feel like that um, I've recognised the impact and um, and I I think I used it well. I went into schools, uh, hospitals. Community sometimes. work sort of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes people reach out sort of through family members or friends yep. and often well, not often, but sometimes people would be on their deathbed, you know, in Canberra, um, in hospital wow. stuff, and and their family would reach out and say, "Hey, um, he's a he or she is a Canberra fan, mean the world to them." Yep. And I, you know, there's a, there's a few things I miss not playing rugby league anymore, mm-hmm. um, and there's many many things really, but one of them, one of the big ones, is having that ability to. Um, boost or lift someone's um, experience. Um, yeah, like like five minutes out of your day makes someone's whole life. Like they'll tell that story for the rest of their life. Yeah, and and even the the negative ones is which is why mm. you know, people these days um, 
still struggling, I think, with understanding the impact they can have. So some, some people, some footballers now reject their role model um, and they say, look, I'm going to be who I am. Um, I play footy, so that's just sort of how it is. But it's, I think they see it as like um, um, a, re- a requirement, um, an obligation. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, and it is. But if you don't, if you look at it a different way and say, look, I, I can have real impact on, real positive impact on people. Mm. Um, then I think they might sort of take more ownership of it. But oh, absolutely. Yeah, but in, in saying that, at the same time, it's a um, like sometimes it is a contractual obligation as well. But they've gone through the system at like through juniors, like like you did with Harold Matz. And at, I'm saying like nowadays players, as you said, some of them don't want that obligation. They're like, right, I'm just a footy player. I'm here to get paid to to play footy. This at the other, you know, I don't want that this out the other but at the same time it's exactly what you signed up for when you had that dream at 15 and decided right i am going to go through the pathways because from 15 etc onwards harold mats you see the system you see how players in higher grades go on and do community work it's not like you know you weren't expecting to have to do that sort of thing nowadays at least yeah i think there's um what could help there is um in the under 15s in under Mm. 17s 19s and 21s um, the education that um, where this is the pathway to first grade rugby league. Yep. Um, what's expected of you as a first grade rugby league player mm. is um, all of the things you can expect, which is discipline, um, punctuality is a massive one, yep. um, application, um, honesty, um, but also um, the social side of it, um, yep. community side of it, and and therefore, because therefore they. Like you say, they sign up for it, and really, even even when I was playing, there was a there was, I think it was just the organisation of of that delivery of information wasn't there. So mm-hmm. it's almost really a lot of players would be like two years into their footy career, and they get in trouble, and they're like, "Well, I didn't sign up for this," and they kind of didn't because no, no, they, that, that's true. They didn't know, um, and you could say, "Well, of course they do," but not really. I mean, they're pretty naive. Rugby league player, I mean, young people in general, but then throw throw in the rugby league element. But that's true. And and now though, we know now now players uh, should be aware, and I hope mm-hmm. they're getting told from a young age that if you want to continue this pathway, this is what's expected of you. So yeah, they exactly. they know from they have a choice. Exactly, they know from the get go. Oh, actually, I don't want to. Or yeah, let's go, sort of thing. I absolutely agree. Um, one game I want to bring up in particular is, of course, the snow game. The only game in the NRL's history to be played in a snowstorm, more or less. It was, you know, round 17, 2000, um, down in Canberra, the Raiders against the Tigers. What was that like? Crazy, isn't it, that um, it's the only game yeah. in 100 years? And, and there's a lot of games played every year. Yeah. And there's another stat which I was fascinated by, which is that no game, in, as far as I know, no game has ever been um, postponed because of weather. Wow. And there's been some, you know, flat. Like Shocking flat. weather. Yeah, but isn't that the crazy? Like um, none have been, and in, I guess in that case, uh, maybe I'm wrong, no game has ever been um, delayed or, or not delayed, but uh, rescheduled, mm. which is it's pretty cool. Um, it's almost like that rugby league's so important. It has to happen. Um, yeah. But as far as what that was like, I hadn't had much experience with snow at all. I mean, a lot of yeah. Australians don't. Yeah. Um, I was in Canberra, and Canberra's only a couple of uh, hours from Threadbow and other snowfields. But 
uh, we didn't get out there. We, I didn't do the school camp thing. So I never really even experienced snow before. Yeah. Um, and so it was the first time that, that few days that I was like, okay, this is what snow is. Um, and uh, it was hard. So it was just cold. Like people who play, people who come down to Canberra, um, players who who uh, play for other teams, they know that once a year they're going to go down to Canberra and they're going to freeze. And they're going to play in winter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I don't know, it's your fingers. It's your mm. extremities. Like, yeah. Um, like you don't, you don't almost want to have to catch the ball because it's so cold. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you make a tackle and somehow someone's trodden on your hand. Like it's just, it hurts. Yeah. Uh, and as, as rugby league players, we are used to playing with pain. We play with needles. Um, you know, sometimes you get uh, head knocks, you get broken bones. That's all good. But freezing fingers, trying to tackle someone and someone stepping on your fingers, that's not cool. Yeah, nah. We didn't sign up for that. That's, no, that's that definitely not. No. And you ended up scoring a try in that game. Do you remember much of, like, the, the try that you scored? Yeah, I remember I was playing on the wing that game. First few years of my career, I was all over the place. So yep. still learning the game. And uh, we had some champions in the team who were aging but still holding their positions. Uh, so I was on the wing and um, it's not a good place to be when you're trying to get warm mm. on the yeah. wing. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't a big winger in bloke off the scrum, you know. They didn't get much benefit of me charging in like you do with the big wingers now. Yep. So uh, I was freezing on the wing. Um think it was that game i've told this story once before where um must have been another game so that that actually wasn't the coldest game i've ever had it was um in australia there's plenty of colder ones i had in england Jesus. yeah of course that's cold but it was still very cold um and really it was just that pain i remember i remember just being uncomfortable that game yeah uh, and and when the when i scored that winning try i didn't do i didn't have to do much i just had to catch it run a bit and put it down yeah luckily but i didn't I, have to dive on the grass yeah, and the ball was in the air, and I thought, okay, I hope there's enough blood in my hands to catch this ball. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so I, all I remember, oh, there's a few things I remember, but one of them was the, the winning try and um, just being glad that, that we could get into the sheds and get into the warm showers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Honestly, that's, that's fair enough because I can imagine that's all you were thinking throughout the game, like let's just get through this, let's try and get the win, and let's go in and, and get warm. Yeah, like if you're not making the semifinals, then then uh, you can be forgiven at halftime on the last match of the year to start thinking about Mad Monday, yeah, uh, or your your Vegas trip or whatever. Um, and I, I I probably did a bit of that because I mean we made the semis most years, but um, uh, there was that time at halftime in the snow game where I was thinking about after the game, not not what was to come next, and wasn't thinking about Bali. I was thinking about hot shower. Yep. No, that's fair. Um, and then obviously after your time at the Raiders, you moved over to London, over to the UK, playing the Super League. Um, what was that like? Obviously cold, but what was the culture difference? What was the difference in, you know, skill level compared to the NRL, et cetera? Huge difference. Um, culture shock. It was cold, um, but came from Canberra. So yeah, we're used to it. And London wasn't too bad. London's pretty mild compared to the north of England. Um and I just, well, it was dark. Uh, anyone who's, who's travelled over to the UK know that in November, December, you don't get much light and the light that you get is so grey. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, it was cold and dark. 
and I couldn't understand anyone speaking. Yep. Because, uh, you know, the London accent's not too bad, but a lot of the players I was playing with had come from the north. Yep. And like Leeds north. and Bradford and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. those accents, they're not for yeah. the faint of heart. I mean, it's, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but, you know, they talk about the north in that show, the yeah. north and the win- and winter is coming. Um, it was it was just like that. Like it was yeah. people from the highlands or the, the mountains up north and you, they were missing teeth and they were uneducated and um, not everyone, but there were certainly a couple and I was just like, and they were tough. Yeah. Um, um, I had to, um, you know, communicate with them at training and, and in games and, and then even uh, afterward going into stores and trying to talk to people about what you want was <laughs> It was like uh, English was a second language. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't understand me either. I was talking too fast and uh, you know, they, they do talk a bit slower. Um, but the, the games it's themselves, um, I would say less skill, mm-hmm. um, but physically either uh, as physical or more physical yep. over there. Um, you know, so maybe the- like reserve grade here sort of thing back then? Yeah, that's pretty fair. Okay. Yeah. Although there are three or four teams um, who would perform well even in first grade. So it'd be like reserve grade plus three or four quality teams in the NRL. Yeah, and those quality teams in the Super League would obviously be, I'm guessing, Wigan, St. Helens, Leeds, and Salford maybe? Not Salford yet. No. It was it was Bradford back then. Bradford, yeah, yeah, the Bulls. That's right. Well, I'm a, I'm for reference, I'm a massive Leeds Rhinos fan because my family is from Leeds. Um, so I'm, I've even got actually a Leeds Rhinos jersey on the back of my shirt at the moment because they're in the grand final this weekend. Um, what was it like going up against those powerhouse type clubs over there? Really good. Um, you know, as a kid, uh, I'd watch the Challenge Cup. Yep. Uh, final, um, and it was always played at like midnight in Australia, and my dad used to let me stay up and watch it. And, you know, it was the first time I realised that they played rugby league anywhere else other than Australia. Yep. So it was this foreign land that played league but played it differently. Yeah. Um, and players I'd never seen before, but champions like Martin Offia or, or Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew about Wigan because they often featured in those matches. Yeah, they did. When we played against Wigan and we beat them that first year, I was super, super excited. Um, I didn't know many of, of the other teams. Yeah. Um, and Leeds proved to be just an incredible club, incredible team, who would have performed so well in the NRL. I know. reckon they would. Yeah. And they, the, the champion players they had, um, and they just performed so well. I'll have to have a think about who, who they were back then. You might help me. I, uh, I don't know all of the names, but I know that um, there was, you know, up until that, jeez. Uh, even I'm struggling because I was I was yeah. sorry to make you feel, but I was quite young back then. So I only really know like Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfield, that sort of generation growing up. Yeah. You know, watching Rob Burrow, Kevin Sinfield, Jamie Peacock, Jamie Jones Buchanan, all those sort of players. Yeah, the blo- they're the blokes I was playing against. They were just yeah, uh, uh, they were incredible. And Sinfield, what a champion! I don't, these guys play three or four hundred games. Yeah, and, and people don't like in the NRL like Cam Smith's the only one to have done four hundred, but like. That's what I, I've tried to bring that to people's attentions in Australia. In the Super League, it's basically like first grade level nowadays, and people are playing three, four hundred, some even five hundred. I think one has done five hundred, and I'm just like, yeah. that. Like James Graham across his entire career played over five hundred games, if you include international representatives and all that as well. And it's like, how? Yeah. Like well, James Roby, who's playing now. Yeah. Uh, still. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's up there. I mean, he was playing when I was playing. Man, like they just uh, <clears throat> they just keep playing. Um, 
and you know Sinfield, what a um, what a captain. He he captained his team. He might have captained England for a while. Um, just a professional. Would have loved to see him play in the NRL. Good looking bloke. Just. Um, well spoken. I, I reckon he would have dominated over here like Adrian Morley did, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's insane. And like I've had the honor of like interviewing a few big names in the sub league, such as Adrian Morley himself. And you know, like they some of their some of them, their goal is to play in in Super League to try and get noticed to come over to the NRL. Yeah. And you know, it's and they, they managed to make it, and I still love I mean, I don't love it, but it's a very interesting fact about Adrian Morley having the like the quickest send off in international rugby league history. So, and speaking of that, though, like not the send offs or anything, but you know, going over to the UK or coming back to Australia, you came back to Australia and you actually managed to get a start with the Queensland Reds in rugby union. So, not only did you play first grade rugby league, you actually managed to play you know first string union. And you played both of those sports growing up. What was it like going over to back over to Australia and to the Queensland Reds? Yeah, it was really cool. I uh, ever since I played, started playing league, I thought I want to get back to playing union yep. at some point. You know, maybe to finish my career. And um, I had an opportunity to go over to the Reds a few years before that. Uh, met with um, um, who's the England coach. Um, um. You should do that research. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. I should have done yeah. the research on that one. Eddie Jones. Um, that's met, one. I met with him in London and, and uh, very close to uh, to signing for the Reds a few years prior. Um, but I'd already shook hands with the uh, owner of my, my team in London. Yep. And um, hadn't signed anything yet. But, uh, but you don't, you don't need your agreement. Yeah, I spoke to um, uh, Ian Lennigan, who now owns... Wigan Warriors. Yep. He owned the England team, my, the London team, my team. Yep. And uh, I just said to him, look, um, I'm thinking about going back to Australia. I had a decent offer from the Reds and I'd love to play rugby union and I'm kind of homesick. He said, yeah, all, all those things are cool and I understand, but you shook my hand. Mm. And um, he said, uh, yeah, he said, um, you can go legally, but we just won't be as close uh, afterward. And I just said, don't worry about it. I'm with you. Like, it's it's important. It's important yeah. to. I think it's important to honour your word and and a handshake. But your word is enough. You say I'm going to do it, and unless there's some serious um, circumstances why it can't be can't happen, it's um, yeah. You know, there's something um, I don't know, nostalgic. Something something um, ancient about it, which is really nice. And, mm. Anyway, I stayed and then eventually um, I came back and did play for the Reds. Uh, I, I, um, I substituted or I replaced Clinton Schiafowski. Yeah, who was also a former Raiders player. Really good player. Yeah, in t- insane player and a Queenslander as well. And that's always a good thing because I'm a Queenslander. Yeah, and he got a start. He only played one or two games for, the, for Queensland. It's probably a re- indication of the wingers and the fullbacks they had at the time. Yep. He was, I would say he would have to be top 10, maybe like top 10, I mean, top 20 easily, but you, you're reluctant to put numbers on it. But he's not top 10 um, all-time Canberra Raiders players. Um, I'd put him in the top 15, I reckon. Yeah, I'd put him in the top 20, let's say that. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. his kicking abilities let alone put him in that category, like in that for the top, for the top 20. It's funny when I said top ten, immediately thought about all the uh, the grand final teams. I'm like, I literally oh. thought of 
10 others as you're saying i'm like oh maybe yeah. 10 but now nah, definitely in the top 20 um, let's, let's just say 50 to be to be safe right <laughs> yeah you don't want gary belcher who maybe you know who knows where he fits saying hang on um but uh top 10 fullbacks can we say that oh easy easily the top 10 fullbacks there you go that's what i mean yeah. all right and yeah, so someone... yeah you, you, you replaced clinton at the reds yeah he put a good word in for me actually um because the coaches had changed since then. Eddie Jones had gone and done something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I just said, what's it like? He said, it's pretty cool, man. Playing rugby union is pretty cool. And I said, tell me about it. And he said, you don't, you don't get injured. Um, you travel parts of the world you'll never see playing rugby league. Yep. Um, Such as South Africa, New Zealand, etc. Yeah. I made my first day, my debut um, in South Africa. Wow. Which is really cool. Um, I was, you know, I only had a few games of trials to learn the game and to to prove to the coach and that your I, spot sort of thing. Yeah, um, which was different for me because ever since I started playing in as an eighteen year old, I, my my position, whether sometimes I was on the bench early with the Raiders, but my position was fairly secure. I was always in the yeah. team, and then I was. Uh, going up against 18, 19-year-old players who may be in front of me. And I'm like, wow, this is a, a not a, it was a step back in that way, but it was step sideways or a step forward, depending on which way you want to look at it. So I did start the year on the bench, mm-hmm. um, but that only lasted about 15 minutes. And then from that point, I was uh, starting fullback. And I was on the bench, the first game. The first game was in um, Pretoria, uh, yep. which is near Johannesburg. Um and the next game was in Cape Town. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was on the sideline. I'd only played a couple of games of trials with um, the Reds. Still really didn't know much about the game at all. Like, yep. the, the, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I didn't know what to do in a ruck. Like, I know I just go in there and hopefully I just sort of get squashed and, yep. and then wait and someone blows a whistle. But uh, I, I got out on the field. Uh, I got called up. It must have been an injury early. And it was a huge, it was a big crowd there. Uh, I don't yeah. know if it was packed. It was, um, um, uh, trying to think of the stadium there. Um, Loftus, I think, yeah. Oh, that might be South Africa. Might, might be Cape Town. Um, big crowd, um, vocal, uh, big dudes too. South yeah. Africa's monsters. Um, I mean, for the, the shape of union players are very different to It's league. totally different to league. Yeah, league you've got, it's almost one shape now. It's a second roller. Yep. Uh, slash centre. Um, you know, now second row is sort of performing well as, as props and the wingers look like props. And, you know, yep. like league is just, there's still halfbacks who, and hookers to a degree. But union, there's a different shape for every position. Yeah. I mean, hookers, like, have you seen them? They're, they're about my height, which is less, far less than six foot, about five nine. And uh, um, very wide. They're about five nine wide. Yeah. They're not all that. They're athletic. basically a short Brad Thorne. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You squash Brad Thorne down. Yep, and you got, and that's your hooker in, in Union. Him. And uh, they 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 push in scrums. They throw lineouts. I don't know what else they do. I'm sure they do a lot of other stuff. But then you've got um, that same squash Brad Thorne, and then you pull him back out again, and yep. maybe just pull him another inch taller, and then yep. you've got the second rowers, monsters, oh. six ten. Like these dudes are basketball size. These dudes are NFL, but yeah, basketball. Like it, they wouldn't be a miss in any American sport. Yeah, and they'd, they'd be they'd be a bit big for basketball because they're they're not just the skinny basketball yeah, types, you know. 
Their their hands yeah, like they're uh, they're built as well. Huge. So yeah, maybe linebackers a, in the NFL then. Yeah, yeah. We've got um even in the Wallabies uh, on the weekend, they've got players who just are just so huge. Yeah. Uh, and South Africans even more so. Um so uh it was a it was an interesting first game. Um uh, we performed pretty well. We didn't win that game, but uh, I I did enough. Yeah. Um, my first touch actually um, was a pretty good one. They kicked off. They kicked over over, and I, I grabbed it. Hooked up with uh, might have been Quade Cooper. I'm not sure who it was. Who was pretty crafty, even even as a young kid. Uh, and he passed it back to me, and I um, weaved through. And I probably could have gone a lot further, uh, maybe even scored. Um, yeah. But I was like. I was like, this is my first touch. I've done pretty well here. Um, if I offload, uh, then we can say that was a good touch, right? Yeah. And so um, so I did that. And uh, afterwards, I was like, really should have just kept going. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with that. And after that, I was like, okay, this I'm in this sort of second world, this weird world of no longer playing league, um, not recognising any of my surroundings because you're, you're in different stadiums, different countries, different players, different teams. I didn't even know who the teams were. Yep. Really. Like I, I didn't know who – I was learning so much about the game that I didn't think, okay, just look at a ladder or yep. a team list and see who you're playing against and see what teams – what they're called, like Jaguars and Lions and stuff. Yep. You know, I'm used to Broncos and, and Eels. And probably the only team that you would pr- maybe know would be the Brumbies because growing up in the ACT. But even then, exactly. not really. But yeah, it and yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even, you know, I knew the Brumbies. I only knew a handful of players, and the Brumbies weren't around when I was a kid until mm. later. Even, even when I was playing Raiders, there was no Brumbies for a year or two, I think. Yeah, uh, and they were. It was just, uh, it was surreal. You know, I, I say playing first grade was a dream come true. This playing union was just a, a dream because dreams are weird. Yeah, yep. and like, can you imagine like? You know, you have a dream the night that you're in Loftus Stadium in in um, South Africa, about to run on, on off the bench playing rugby union. You wake up and that was weird. Yeah. That's sort of how it was because it all happened so quickly. You know, you wow. you, you signed for a, a team. You know, I was living in London. I signed for the Reds. I'm like, cool. That's in a few months' time. I'll deal with that. You have an off season, have a bit of fun. You get back. Then you you're training and you're like, yeah, okay. Well, this is cool, but still a long way off before we play. And then a month later, you're trialing. And then three days, three weeks later, you're in South Africa. And it really, <laughs> it was just a weird dream. And that whole, that dream whirlwind sort the of whole thing. Year. Yeah. And it was, it was like, it was, I, I kind of had to laugh because I had so little experience. Um, and I'm, well, I'm trying to press this dream thing because, you know, dreams like have you in, in scenarios where you're not ready for. And I didn't yeah. feel ready for that. But I also, was happy to try. So I was like, okay, when I got called off the bench, I was like, all right, I'll go out there, but I don't know what's going to happen. Yep. Uh, and I kind of went out there and um, I, I, there's a funny story of my first trial game, which was against the, the Waratahs. Yep. Uh, I asked Derek Barnes when I was out there. Um, He's a local as well. He lives in Lennox nowadays. Yeah. And he was, he was playing a bit of rugby and coaching up here. He's a, he's a great guy, really astute um, played a bit of league at the start too with the Broncos. Sure did, yep. Would have been good to hold on to him, but he he belonged in Union Black. He was he was an intellect. He was um, he had he was kind of like fine cultured. Um, there's no league, you know. No. Where he's a tough and dirty. And uh, anyway, I said to Beric, um, they're about to kick off, and I said, where where do I stand? 
where do I stand for the kickoff? Yeah. It's like, what do you what do you mean? I'm like, I can literally don't know where to stand. Um, because you know, you learn you learn plays, you learn yep. um, uh, you learn finer details, but but coaches just assume you know where to stand up for kickoff. So you know, yeah. you, you tick that off in under under fours, under fives, uh, and I was trying to tick that off um, against at, at like under twenty fives, under sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would have been yeah under under twenty nines. I think yep. it was. Yeah. Um, against the Waratahs, which is again another silly scenario to be in, but that's where I was, and and I loved it. Yeah. So I just felt like I don't know. I felt like I kind of had nothing to lose because it was I I started playing the game two months ago, kind of thing. Exactly. I reckon it would be similar to you know um, uh, Jared Hayne and uh, others who have gone over to the NFL. Yep. You know, it's NFL is probably another. I'd say it's another level again, but yep. then again, going to South Africa playing rugby union is pretty similar to playing um, NFL in America as yep. far as how much they love that sport. So it wasn't it wasn't too far off what no. Payne experienced because he must have just been like, "Wow, this is cool." Yeah, um, I guess I'll do this. Um, yeah. anyway, I'll give this well. a crack for as long as I can. Yeah, and we were all. We we're all following him, you know. We we're all, I mean, I was. Um, I mean, I'm a Packers fan, so I already was watching the NFL, but it, it, he, he definitely helped put the NFL a bit more on the map over here. Yeah. And, you know, it, obviously it's a shame how things have turned out for him, and even a shame how it turned out for him in the NFL stuff. Mm. Um, and he went back, and I th- it would have been nice for him to continue and try a bit more, but I think he was so used to being successful at everything he did. The minute he kind of had a roadblock, he'd probably be like, oh, I'll just go and play Union. Yeah, when he was the small fish in the big pond instead of the, you know, superstar yeah. fish. And, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and what are you doing with yourself these days, you know, post-retirement, you know, last few years since COVID, et cetera? I've been doing a fair bit of things, very different things since I finished. Um, my first year since finishing, so... It was a continue. My first year after retiring was for me like a continued a long off season, yep. right? Because didn't have to be anywhere or do anything. Yep. Uh, and so I put a backpack on and jumped on a plane and went to uh, Central America. Yep. And spent a year there um, with a mate of mine um, doing a whole heap of cool stuff. But just um, I don't know. It's sort of like. Um, in like almost like in rehab, sort of post rugby league, you know, letting your body heal, yeah. letting your mind heal, letting you know. For those for, for, for those who uh, have a day off work um, and who wake up because they feel like they have to, because they're so used to waking up and they feel like they have to be productive because they're so used to doing that. And for those who go travelling and lie by the pool, but but feel like they should be doing something, um, I had that all year, yeah. and so. It was good because when we were traveling, we were always doing something. But um, having had 12 years of nonstop um, first grade rugby, rugby league. Structure, etc. Structure, yeah. Everything being done for you. Um, like you didn't have to think much uh, in footy. Um, yeah, you just, you're told where to go, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, etc. Yeah. So, but now Your all of that is on yeah. you. That's that right. Yeah, your only job, well, many jobs, but one of the jobs back then when I was playing was be on time. Yeah. So important. Like, you don't, you're never late. You know, I think about the amount of times I was late in my 12 year career 
Yeah. They're probably all at the start, the first year, because I didn't really realize you had to be on time because yeah. I thought time was flexible and you're kind of like, sorry about that. I got held up. They're like, well, how? And then you're <laughs> like, oh, well, I wasn't really held up. I just just took my time to get here. And they're like, no, nah, man, that can't happen. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, everything's done for you in, in league, but time is so important. You have to get there at the right time and never miss a session and never. And so uh, all of a sudden I didn't need to be anywhere um, and which was cool because, you know, you wake up and like you're in Guatemala in Central America and you're, what am I going to do today? Um, but even now, even now that it's been uh, 12 years since I played, I still feel like I'm still coming out of the rugby league time Yep. because it's so intense. Uh, for the first few years, I didn't even watch, I didn't even watch footy after. Yeah, it was just uh, uh, too soon. It's too soon. I love watching. I love the um, spectacle and the soap opera. Um, but to continue the question is what I did. So that was what I did since finished footy. I played. Uh, I did backpacking. Didn't play any footy. Yep. Um, I did some business stuff in England. Um, I mentioned the name Ian Lanigan before, who owns mm-hmm. the Wigan Warriors now. I worked with him a fair bit over in Wigan. I lived in Wigan for three years. Wow. That is longer than anyone should spend. In <laughs> oh man, that's a wow. that's a tough gig. So I was doing um, a whole range of things for him. Um, I, I've always been involved in video production, and I loved creating stories through video. So uh, I did a bit of work with him. He's he's got his fingers in everything. Ian Lennigan, I went to Wigan Warriors. Was the like like chairman of the um, Champion League or the the team below the Premier League in yeah, in, yeah. in England. Yeah, championship. Yep. Yep. Yeah, championship. Uh, he had a heap of um, education software. He made his money in um, sports cafes. So if you've ever been to a sports cafe, like sports cafe, that was his. Um, and so I was just learning a lot, doing stuff with him um, for a few years and um, developed an exercise program for kids, which is still operating over there, and I'll bring it to Australia at some point. But mm-hmm. right, that was another thing I needed to have a break from because I was six days a week, which is what rugby league is. It's a six-day-a-week thing, actually, yeah. footy. Yeah. Even more than that because some, often in your day off, you have to go and have a swim or do something. It doesn't sound too bad. Give yeah. massage. Uh, <laughs> so then, um, then I came back to Australia and um, have – increasingly moved towards being a hippie okay like legit um i kind of aspire to be a hippie um and if you ask my dad that just means i don't shower anymore (laughs) Um, well i do i I actually don't shower but i I jump in the creek every morning yeah so uh that's something um and so i part of that is moving towards um a sustainable uh lifestyle uh, and um, now that I'm not playing football, I'm able to focus on other things. And one of the, my passions is uh, the environment. Yep. Um, yeah, um, which which is the the um, swear words at the moment, which is climate change. Yeah. Uh, and so, climate change action is uh, where I've moved towards. I really feel passionate about it, and um, uh, over the last couple of years, increasingly more so on how I can. Uh, make a difference, um, how I can educate those who haven't 
really educated themselves on it. Fair enough. Well, just just to interrupt real quick, use this episode, just this segment right now, and to educate people as to even if it's their everyday life, how they can make even such a very you know because they may not be able to go out of the way such as yourself to full and actively do it. What can they do in their everyday life that can benefit and help? Good question. Know, that sort of stuff. Good question. I don't. I don't mind if you recycle or not. Uh, I don't mind if you have an electric vehicle or a petrol power one right now. Uh, what I would like for people who are conscious but um, don't have the time is just push, put pressure on politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Make them accountable. Oh, yeah. I mean, accountability, like you don't know where to start with politics. And it's, it's geared that way, unfortunately. And yeah. I believe um, it's geared so that people are apathetic about it because when they look at the House and the lower house and the upper house and the senators and they're just like, I don't know what this is. Is I've just turned up voting day and it's a it's a pain. So yeah, um, just vote vote for people who are pushing for climate um, at the moment. Um, the Greens are obviously great. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say the most important thing is to get to 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 talk about it, to talk about it to your kids and look at the IPCC reports, which is the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. These are these are thousands of climate scientists getting together every five years and um, uh, looking through published articles and collating all of that information and then coming out with um, with a, an outcome of um, what the science actually says because um, it, it depends where you get your news from. If you watch Sky News, if you watch Fox News, you're going to get Ruben Murdoch's spin. Uh, unfortunately, the shirt that you're wearing, I, I'm not a big fan of Fox News or anything to do with, with Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, it is. It's crazy how uh, in Australia and the UK and America, how um, uh, one person can have such an influence on our media. It's, and, it's got to a point where I literally just watch sports news, and even then, it'll just be foxsports.com and read the sports news because I can't fucking deal with any other type of news. It's just it's hard, man. Yeah, and even even um, what they call mainstream media, even watching Today and um, the other show on Channel Project and all them and Sunrise. Yeah, they've, I'm so reluctant to say do your own research because um, especially in my area... Everyone want to say, oh, I've done my own research. Sort of oh, yeah. <laughs> and where I am up in uh, the Byron Shire, um, yep. do your own research means... Um, smoke weed and, and find out for yourself. <laughs> yeah, smoke weed, watch some YouTube and Facebook and um, be anti-government and be very suspicious and be very um, open-minded when it comes to conspiracy theories and things. So it's yep. not that it's... Um, uh, understand that um, people actually own channels and yeah. they own the news. Like it's it's a person who owns that. It's a company. It's a business. Mm-hmm. And if that if that owner, that business owner, is one is a certain uh, way of uh, viewing the world or has interest in continuing fossil fuel burning, then then they'll, they'll push that agenda onto those yeah, news sources. Right. It, as you were saying just before, like it's obviously the recent election. When I say recent, it was like earlier this year um like people such as yourself and myself do understand and realize that you know um you know murdoch and all that have a massive pull when it comes to news but also so does the government because people like people not everyone obviously i'm not trying to say everyone didn't notice this but i can guarantee there was a big chunk of people in the nation that didn't realize that as soon as like within as soon as the election was called 
So about a month or so before it was actually, you know, you had to go and vote. The news agenda changed so hard to try and push ScoMo to stay in. And people don't realize, obviously you realize that. I realize that. Yeah, yeah I've I, I realized so. I realized it not even in hindsight. I realized it while it was happening. And but as as you said, if the if someone's got an agenda and they have a you know a hold on things such as the the channels that do the news, such as Murdoch or you know ScoMo or the government in general, because they with, without the news we don't get you know news sources, and without the government those news reporters don't have a job. Yeah, that's right, and and I saw that, and it's amazing that. Um, Labor won with with when you've mm. got on, but to to just um, conclude the climate yeah. change stuff because yeah, not everyone not everyone wants to hear too much about it. Just say that there there is a very very clear um, path to get reliable information, and that's from climate scientists. Yep, like because they spend their life studying this, they dedicate to it. Google climate scientists and see what they're saying, and you'll see that that there's for every one outlier climate scientist who's who's brought in on Sky News to talk as if that's there's there's some doubt in the science, there's literally thousands of other climate scientists who are all saying the same thing, and that is we need to stop burning fossil fuels and uh, we need to have a look at animal agriculture. Um, and the fossil fuel thing, we're moving away, and which is great. Uh, we're developing new technologies. Just just keep pushing for that because yeah. it's, it's going to benefit. Whether you believe in climate change or not, it's going to, make the air more breathable like it can exactly it's, it's nothing but a win-win sure like if climate change ends up not being real the people who are like oh it's not real have won and if it is real then we have a better like ecos like a whole better yeah quality of life a better way etc the problem is it's not a quick fix and no and, gosh no but i will say that um I, I do wish that um i was mature enough uh while i was playing footy to mm-hmm to be passionate about other things and to look into other things and to have time to investigate other things because yeah. it would have been nice to to use i mean i i would have i wouldn't have been a popular player because every time i got on the on the um an interview about a game they said you know how do you think the boys went i'd say we're going to stop burning fossil fuels um, <laughs> yeah so i mean i just i just would have done that i just would have kept going but um uh, i was um it all happened very quick my whole footy career when i reflect on it but yeah. um also, I was young. One thing we need to remember about... Is they're just kids. They're kids. And also, even if you're 25, you're a kid. Oh, until yeah. you, and, and until you're... When you hit 40 plus, you go, oh, I knew nothing as a 25-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, they look like men, okay, and they physically are men, but they're still developing. And and even more so, I, I sound like I'm a little bit uh, harsh on, on footballers, even though I was... I am and was one, but we um, aren't as aware uh, socially. Um, we are so narrow focused. Footballers are so narrow focused, and it's it's it, we have to be. You, you have to uh, exclude all the distractions outside of um, what you need to do to get ready for a weekend and perform at your best. Absolutely, because if you don't you've failed, uh, and so. You look at 25-year-olds who are just kids anyway in yeah. general, and then you say, oh, what about a football 25-year-old? You're like, yeah, he doesn't, he's not aware of anything else other yeah. than how to get his body right and, and how, and to, how to do the job on the weekend properly. That's all that matters. And how to get to that point to get to be able to play the game on the weekend as well. Yeah, and there's so many things, you know, overcoming injuries and, and form 
Um, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty. It's it's an intense week. It's like it's like a, a lifetime compressed in a week, and then mm. you've got twenty five of them a year. Um, you get up after a win or a loss. You recover because your body's aching, mm-hmm. and you get ready mentally for a whole different team and a whole different um, venue, venue, uh, different um, ca- uh, strategies. Yep, uh, it's it's excellent. I mean, I love it. I, I, I loved the uh, ups and downs, and they're massive because when you finish, when you finish footy, um, you become like like everyone else in that in that your your work, your job, your nine to five may. Sometimes, yeah, you've got jobs that are intense like that, but but generally, you kind of cruise along, um, you do your work, and you sort of stay at this sort of equilibrium, yeah. and you wait for the time you might get six weeks off at the end of the year, or you might book a camping thing on the weekend, and you've got that to look forward to. But really, it's sort of it's um, the the highs and the lows aren't huge. Yeah, whereas whereas, whereas footballers are huge highs and huge lows. And then, you know, you look at someone like Andrew Johns, who had, I, I'm not sure if he has bipolar. I think he might have come out and said that, but he, whether he has or he hasn't, he certainly had mental challenges, so so, we, so many of us. And so those highs and lows are even more pronounced. More extreme, yeah. Yeah. But then you finish and you miss it. Yeah. And speaking of, I've got a few quick fire questions to finish off the chat. Uh, first one is, who was the toughest, you know, what was the toughest team to go go up against and also who was the toughest opponent toughest team uh i'll, I'll say you know the, the brisbane Broncos has just been such a successful club over so long yep. ever since they started really and the first thing that i thought of when you asked me that question was um i was on the bus team bus um we just finished we just played the broncos yep. probably beat them we, we beat them a fair bit up there mm-hmm. and um we were at the hotel, out the front of the hotel, waiting for people to board the bus. Yeah. And the Broncos were kind of there for some reason, and they were out the front, and they were, you know, doing doing their thing down Lockyer Walk Pass. There was a couple of others, and I just remember, I think it was Finchy, Brett Finch, or someone else, who said they even they even look um, professional, like they even look like winners. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe they were in suits. They were, they were just they just look like a team, even yeah, off the yeah. field. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's sort of like some some people you see, you just think they're super cool in every aspect, yeah. and they just like I even look at Andrew Johns. Like the guy's a brilliant mind, and some people criticize the way he um, he does his commentary, but I think it's class. Like he doesn't even look interested. He's a bit like um, Gus Gould, and Gus will be sort of looking off in the distance. They're that cool that it's I can I can take this or leave it. Like and yeah. and so when I was on the in the bus, and I thought. Broncos, the winners off the field as well. Like you look yeah. at them, they look like winners. And um, you know, going up against their crowd, I love their jerseys and uh, the history they had. So it was always a huge occasion playing the Broncos. But but the toughest team back then, um, I think the Broncos won the first year that I was there. So yeah, ninety eight. Yep. Yeah, um, and they had some blokes who could hit. Um, um, Newcastle were, you know, they were they were tough. I can I could probably answer it better in in uh, England because uh, okay. because it's so much more pronounced. Like in in the NRL, there's like ten good teams. Okay, so well, who was t- who was the toughest team and toughest individual opponent then over in the UK? Um, we we went up against St Helens. They just had incredible players. Um, yep. Who was the player? I have to think he uh, he had such an incredible year. He got done for steroids. I think. Oh, shit. Um, 
uh, I can't think of his name, but but we'll take it back to Australia. And um, I remember playing um, against um, um, the Raging Bull. Um, Gordon Tallis? Gordon Tallis. I uh, actually, actually roomed with him one night. Um, I was playing junior kangaroos uh, and I spent like the night with him. It was, it was crazy. He was... Um, uh, he would often when you get big players, they're not aggressive. Yeah. Um, and you or you wonder what would that player be like if if they were aggressive. Yeah. And I think of um, Talmo, um, yep. the, like soft spoken off off the field. Yeah. But Jamie on the Giant. field, white line fever sort of thing. Yeah, but and they just don't have that aggression. They they yeah. plow into the defense, but they're not as aggressive as this as a smaller forward who have to be aggressive. Yeah. Yep. But then you see a bloke like um, Nelson. Um, well, I'm glad you pronounced his name. Yep. Um, he's now starting to get aggressive and yeah. I love watching him. And, and Gordon Tallis wasn't as big as Nelson, but he was big and he was aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, like blokes like Willie Mason I played against, he was bigger than Gordon Tallis, but, but Gordy was always, always aggressive and everything he did, he just grabbed you. Um, and also the Melbourne Storm back then. Like they had Marcus By on the wings. Yeah. Um, they had in the, in the first couple of years, um, they just had incredible, um, um, big, tough people. Yeah. So uh, Melbourne, Broncos and Newcastle back then. Okay. Um, and who was the pest of the club when you were at the Raiders? I think people would say me because I'm such, <laughs> such a strange dude, um, and I'm not a strange anymore. And I feel like kind of going to the, I feel like going back to the place and say, I'm, I'm kind of normal now. Let's chat. Yeah. Uh, but pests are uh, okay. I'll, this is an England one. I'm sorry, but actually yep. we'll, we'll know him. Danny Williams, who played yep. for the Melbourne Storm. Yep. He, he was a bit of a pest when he was at the Storm as well. Oh yeah. For those who were just a bit before his time, uh, he still holds the record for the longest suspension. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in NRL, he sure does. <laughs> it was a bit like when I was at school once. Um, I was at a Catholic school, and uh, I didn't get expelled, but I got asked to leave. Right? Yeah. Like they sort of said, "Look, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, go your separate ways." And that's what I think. That's what they did with Danny Williams in the NRL. Surely it is because, like, what he did. I'll put the footage up on here for anyone that who's watching this episode when it's up. Like, you can't do that and expect back to be allowed back in at any point ever again yeah you can't and it's even the refs like i don't know what uh, do I have a rule it, it, it's it's i don't know if you watched the super league around like 2011 sort of thing but lance O'Hire getting punched out by ben flower is very very reminiscent of that incident with danny williams and it's like that sort of thing you can't come back from that i was actually at that game in england on the grand oh wow grand final I, in um in man use big stadium old trafford yep I, I, I actually had the honor of interviewing Lance last year and oh, it's obviously I didn't bring it up because it's probably, a, it's probably a sore point for him, but like, and it was early in the game. It was like the first few minutes of the game. Like what a brain snap. It was a huge brain snap. And that's an indication of the different world you, you put yourself in when mm-hmm. you play in the Super League. You got, you got these tough dudes who just do stuff like occasionally will do things that are just, you never seen in Australia. Uh, and I was I, I was at that match, and I was mm-hmm. sort of working with Wigan and, and Flower. Ben Flower was from Wigan, mm-hmm. um, so and they ended up losing that grand final um, because they played with twelve men um, and For the whole game more or less. Yeah, um, and so getting back to Danny Williams, biggest yeah, players, um, I I mentioned him and I I referenced you know his time in the NRL, so people can remember who he was. 
Uh, and and yeah, he did. Um, he got up and, and he punched. Um, oh, who was it? Was, West Tigers. I think it was Joel Kane. I think. No, it wasn't Joel Kane. It was, no, it was a forward. It was. That's right. Um, um, Mark, someone, I think. Anyway. Oh, M- Mark O'Neill. That's yes. the one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, broke his jaw, I think. And anyway, <clears throat> when I went over to, to the UK for the first year, we had a, a couple of Australians come over as well. Danny Williams was one of them. Yep. I was like, oh, it's good that he's on my team, I guess, because I think he's an elbow to the nose. But then, for however, for some reason, he became my housemate for the oh, year. Oh, okay. Cool. And Danny Williams should be on any footy show. And and if you can, um, get him on your podcast. He's, yep. He is the, one of the funniest blokes I've, I've played with. Um, another guy would be um, uh, Jason Burnham from, from the Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. played a, it was utility back in my time. Such a funny guy. <laughs> Well, um, Danny Williams was so funny um, and such a pest. Um, I got him back one was day. Was he funny because he was a pest or was he a pest because he was funny? Both, actually. That's okay. He, he can be funny and he can just be a pest. Okay. Um, and, he, and so we used to, he used to go, how about our lives? Like this is, um, he, he'd say, this is, England is the place where elephants come to die. What are we doing? <laughs> and like he, he just sort of said that as a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's, there's some funny stuff with Danny, but I got him back one day. Um, uh, he, yeah, in, in England, um, you had to have a, a TV license. Yeah. If you wanted a TV, you had to have a TV license, and which is weird, but you had to, and you had to pay for that. And I think that paid for like the equivalent of the ABC here. Yeah. And anyway, we didn't pay. Danny was like, I'm not paying TV. No way. I'm, I'm, I want a TV. I'd have to pay. So anyway, I eventually um, sent, uh, set up a, uh, let our head um, and pretended to be the government writing in and saying, hey, guys, um, Danny Williams, we know you have a TV and you have to pay a £1,000 or go to court. Um, and he was, I got him back. I mean, it was the, if we had more time, I'd, I'd elaborate on exactly how that went. But yeah. it was a good get and it was, it made up for all the gets he got me. Um, and D-Dub or Danny Williams, biggest mm-hmm. pest. And uh, I, I recommend getting him on the podcast. Absolutely. Well, just off the record, I'll edit this bit out. I am in contact with Danny on LinkedIn and oh, yeah. he has agreed to come on. It's just a matter of organizing our schedules because he's been stupid busy this year as I have as well. But there, I am in talk to him. So, but good to know that he is absolutely and was absolutely a pest. So that'll be, that'll be some good ammo to bring up questions and stuff about, you know, time in that time when Mark McClendon, you know, got, got you good with the TV. He'll remember. He'll remember. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that about wraps up our time in, in the episode today. Thank you very much for your time. Is there anything you'd like to plug and promote in this last few minutes before we end it? No, I think we've sort of done our um, promotions of, of my passions. And, uh, um, you know, I love talking about footy. I love following it. Um, I'm a big fan, more so than I ever have been. And uh, thanks. Who do you follow? Yeah, the team that lost last week. Uh, the Raiders. The Raiders. Well, yeah. that you, you are Raiders born, so may as well. Um, I'm a big Broncos fan for the record. I was born in Brizzy, so kind of makes sense. But no, definitely, definitely have a soft spot for the Raiders. And I I was spewing that they lost last week because I was like, if anyone's going to do it out of nowhere, like from the bottom of the top eight, it'll be the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they, you know, next week, if it was the same again, they probably would have won. It's that sort of team at the moment. So, yep. Um, um, it was a shame. Um, they can be proud of their year. Oh, absolutely. And they've got some young, really exciting players. I still think Savage is, is super exciting. Oh, he is. 
even even watching him make the mistakes, it's like it's like that's that's footy, you know. Yeah. Like he's playing NRL, and often some of the the mistakes he's made, I'm like, if he was playing anything other than NRL, he would have got away with it. He probably yeah. would have scored, or you know, he would have. But but the it's not easy, and no. and a player with that immense talent, it's so it is frustrating when he makes some errors. Then he goes and runs the length of the field like he did last week. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's all part of it, you know. It's all part yeah. of. Also saying, well, NRL is no joke. You know? No, it's not. And uh, and it's it you have to go with the, the good and bad, and that's why we that's why we support 